Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Wake, awake, for night is flying. The watchmen on the heights are crying. Awake, Jerusalem, arise. That is Wake Awake for Night is Flying, royalty of Lutheran chorales, and it's based upon Matthew 25, the parable of the five virgins who are wise and the five who are foolish. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Friday afternoon, November the 24th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the last Sunday of the church year. Pastor Peter Bender will be our guest. An hour from now, We'll replay an interview with Brandon Steenbach on transhumanism, the attempt to modify and escape the human body through technology. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. Why does Jesus so often use the image of the bridegroom and the wedding feast? That is a great question, and you find it throughout the Old Testament, prophets as well in the Lord's relationship to Israel. And then Jesus carries that into the New Testament. And more than anything else, what that image emphasizes is Christ's relationship to us. And it's a relationship fundamentally of grace where he takes the initiative. And it's his initiative of grace and love like a bridegroom for his bride that calls forth and inspires in her a response of love, devotion, faith in him. So that's really what's going on in this frequently used imagery by our Lord and throughout the New Testament. He is the bridegroom. He lays down his life for his bride, the church. He makes her beautiful by the sacrifice of himself. He forgives her sin. He adores her. He puts her on a pedestal. He honors her. And her disposition, his bride, the church, is one that 
receives his love, that basks in his love. And I think that we really need to emphasize that on this Sunday. I think sometimes the preparedness that we want to have for the Lord's second coming has a tendency or a danger to thrust us back upon ourselves, our own piety and our own works. So think about this Sunday this way. The bridegroom, who is he? He is the Lord Jesus. Think about what it is that he has done as the bridegroom for his bride, the church. In Jesus, we see what a man is. And he is the quintessential man who makes the ultimate sacrifice. And that's why his bride, the church, of which we are all members through our baptism into Christ, it's why we adore him. It is why we love him. It is why we cling tenaciously to him. And it is why we can't wait for him to return again in glory for the full consummation of this wedding union with our Lord in the wedding feast that will know no end. So there is obviously on this Sunday, Todd, an emphasis on unpreparedness. And what would that be? You know, an empty heart without faith and love for the Lord Jesus. The opposite of that is preparedness, which is a heart full of faith and love for Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit who has called us by the gospel to embrace our Lord Jesus and to look on him with the eyes of deep affection because of what he has done for us. So I think that for this Sunday, as the end of the church year, it is fitting then because it links us in with the beginning of the church year and gives us opportunity to explore the idea of preparedness in what John Kleinig would call receptive spirituality. In other words, that while we do a lot of things as we watch and pray for our Lord's coming. We have our daily devotions as individuals or with our families. That's an activity that we do. We discipline ourselves to come to church, to go to catechesis and so forth. The danger here again is to see those activities as our works of piety that somehow make us prepared as opposed to his idea of receptive spirituality, where we look at our prayer life, our devotional life, the attendance at divine service, the prayer offices of the church, daily chapel, if we have those, as the opportunity to receive our Lord. So why do we set the alarm? You know, because we want to get up and see him. Why do we discipline ourselves to have daily devotions and prayer? Because we want to see him and we want to receive him. So that's what Dr. Kleinig in his book, Grace Upon Grace, kind of emphasizes a different way of looking at personal devotions and our attendance at the divine service, the opportunity to receive. And of course, when we've had discussions about divine service, we're emphasizing you know, first and foremost, what the Lord does for us that then creates in us the response and that fills our heart with faith and love for him. Again, I repeat the warning. I think some people hear the gospel for the day of the wise and the foolish virgins. Well, I hope I'm a wise virgin. I, I got to make sure my lamp is filled as if the emphasis of this gospel for the day is our doing. So I think the trap 
for the preacher and for the hearer on this Sunday is to come down so hard on preparedness and in a way that it thrusts it back upon our own piety and works that we lose the joy of anticipating the return of the church's bridegroom, which, as you began the wonderful hymn of the day, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying, that is, first and foremost, a hymn of joyful anticipation for the return of the church's bridegroom. And that needs to be the overarching emphasis for this Sunday. I wanted to clarify something about the gospel reading before we get there, since you brought up the subject of preparedness. And that is, perhaps you might disagree, but I hope to persuade you, if you do, <laughs> that this parable is not about two different kinds of Christians, prepared Christians and unprepared Christians. In my case, is the five foolish virgins, they go to hell at the end of this parable. That's the only way we can read it. And Christians don't go to hell. This is a contrast between believers and unbelievers. And I would say the evidence of that is that the foolish virgins don't bring too little oil. They bring none whatsoever to the wedding feast. What are your thoughts? I couldn't agree more. This is why they're called the virgins. They attend the bride. So if you're the wise virgins, you're actually a part of the bride. Why? Because you have the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit in the hearts. The lamp signifies the heart. The oil is the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit, which are inseparable. I mean, if you have faith, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have faith. So the contrast there between wise and foolish, when we get to that gospel, and it really runs throughout the day's themes, is between faith in Christ and unbelief, rejection of Christ. And so that's the only preparedness. And that's why we need to have that emphasis upon how the Lord prepares us through his word and, you know, if you think about the image of a wedding and what goes on in our weddings today, brides are often so preoccupied with all kinds of other things rather than the point of the day, which is to be married to that man in the Lord. And so also for us, what is the point of the gift of faith in the Holy Spirit? It is to be with Jesus, to see him, to trust in him. And those who have no faith and those who have no gift of the Holy Spirit are therefore condemned. So this idea of wise and foolish, you know, this is in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, where you have the parable. But at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, you have the wise man and the foolish man. So the same words are used there. And the wise man is the one who believes in Christ and builds his life upon the word of Christ. The foolish man, well, he builds his house upon sand, which means he's rejected the word of Christ in unbelief. So wisdom is always associated with faith, and not only faith, but the wisdom of the cross. In other words, the gospel of Christ and him crucified. And foolishness is always associated with unbelief and rejection of Jesus and rejection of his cross. So I absolutely concur with you, Todd. There are two possible collects for the day. The first one is the what might be called the historic collect, and then the second one is really based on the gospel for the day from Matthew 25. So the historic collect reads this way, O Lord, absolve your people from their offenses, that from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon ourselves, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, 
one God, now and forever. Amen. The collect immediately prays for absolution. O Lord, absolve your people from their offenses. We live as Christians on this side of the Lord's return in perpetual need of his absolution, his cleansing work of forgiving our sins, out of which the lamp of our heart remains filled with the oil of faith and the gift of the Spirit. The colic's concluding petition is that we may be delivered by the Lord's bountiful goodness. I love that concluding petition, you know, that we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Apart from the bountiful goodness of the Lord Jesus, our bridegroom, we have no salvation. And so we're praying for deliverance from impenitence, from unbelief, from the snares that so easily entangle us in this world, for the ways in which the eyes of our faith are directed away from Christ to some other source of comfort or peace. So here we pray in this petition that we may be delivered from all of that by the Lord's bountiful goodness, which is a reference to his grace. Now, the second collect is based on the gospel for the day. And I think that sometimes you can use actually both collects. You can actually pray, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, let us pray. And you pray the first collect. And then after that, again, let us pray to the Lord. And this reads this way, Lord God, Heavenly Father, send forth your son, we pray, to lead home his bride, the church, that with all the company of the redeemed, we may finally enter into his eternal wedding feast. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. And so I'll just simply say about this collect is that it captures the anticipation and joy of our Lord's return. So, so often we talk about prayer is praying for those things that the Lord wishes for us to receive. And so here he promises to return for his bride, the church and to receive us to the joy of the eternal wedding feast. And so we are to pray for that, that we might learn to anticipate and yearn for that. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the last Sunday of the church year, when we come back the intro it in Psalm 39 and Isaiah 35. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. 
Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the last Sunday of the church here. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, a mutual friend of Pastor Bender and me. Dr. Alfonso Espinosa is the author of the Issues Etc. book of the month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. Call Concordia Publishing House and order this excellent book, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Org. When you order, ask for the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Peter, the intro, it is Psalm 39, selected verses, and the antiphon drawn from Isaiah 35, verse 10. It reads this way, The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions, do not make me the scorn of the fool. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So, Todd, the intro, it begins with the antiphon from Isaiah 35, which captures the joyful anticipation for the redeemed of the Lord. We've been redeemed by Christ's holy, precious blood with his innocent suffering and death that we might be his own, and we look forward to being with him in the gladness and the joy of the new heavenly Jerusalem, the new Zion where sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So that announces the intro and that antiphon. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And then the material from Psalm 39 
begins with a perspective on our lives. You know, we are so easily inundated with thinking that building a utopia on earth, our large homes, our extravagant lifestyle, as if we can make heaven on earth, the things that we accomplish in our lives, our position, our station, our education, our influence. And how does this begin instead? Oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? The humility of faith. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. I mean, that is the posture of humble reception. We live every moment of our day only by what the Lord gives. And the object of our faith in our hearts must be him rather than the things that we amass for ourselves in this world. And so then the intro at Psalm concludes, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? And then it answers the question. My hope is in you, so I wait for you. And then deliver me from all my transgressions, which is what the Lord promises us in this life. And when we stand before him in the judgment with our lamps full of the gift of the Holy Spirit and faith in Christ, that is the declaration declared of us. Come, you blessed of my Father. So do not make me the scorn of the fool who has rejected the gospel. Great intro for this day. The Alleluia verse is Revelation 21, verse 2. Alleluia, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Alleluia. So here we've got this idea of holy city. And of course, biblically, that refers geographically to Jerusalem. But it's holy because of the things that God did there. His holy prophets preached the word there. The holy divine service was there at the temple where the sacrifices were offered according to God's institution, if you will, in the Torah. Jerusalem, the city of peace. It was peace because of those sacrifices that pointed to the ultimate peace through the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. So it is a verse from Revelation 21, verse 2, that talks about heaven, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And then it has this lovely turn of phrase, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So remember at the outset, we talked about emphasizing how it is the Lord who fills the oil of our heart with faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's his actions, his divine service that we need. So here this is emphasized in the idea that the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, prepared by him as a bride adorned for her husband to rejoice in his love. So that's what sets up the gospel for the day. That gospel is Matthew 25, the first 13 verses. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight 
there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the gospel of the Lord. Todd, we are accustomed to calling this the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, but I have wondered from time to time if we shouldn't change the title to the the glorious return of our bridegroom, Christ Jesus, or something of that nature, because the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins rightly identifies, as you noted earlier, the contrast between faith in Christ, wise, and unbelief and rejection of Christ, foolish. But, but I think the danger then again comes from missing this joyous anticipation for our Lord's return. I think it would be good to just reflect a little bit on Israelite practice of marriage. Most of our practices today come from more Roman practices. And by Roman, I don't mean Roman Catholic. I mean ancient Rome. But this parable is based on the ancient practices in Israel. And for the most part, marriages were arranged. It wasn't this courtship of love. They were arranged by parents who wanted to choose and select the most suitable and the best spouse for their son or for their daughter. So they were arranged marriages and love came later. Betrothal was as binding as a contract of marriage. It was as binding as the marriage itself. It was the marriage. I mean, it was not an engagement. And so there was the arranged marriage and then the betrothal, a binding contract of marriage. And that's why then there was this period of delay from the betrothal to the actual wedding feast itself at which the marriage was brought to fruition. So that's the backdrop of this particular parable of Jesus, the idea that there's a betrothal that has taken place and now there is the waiting for the bridegroom to return and receive his bride in the consummation of that marriage, which took place at the marriage feast. So this parable is a reflection of the ancient Israelite customs. And I think it is important to note that it emphasizes salvation by grace and not by works, and that it is the contrast between faith in Christ and rejection of Christ. So the language of the parable should not lead us into making false conclusions. For example, when the wise virgins tell the foolish, go buy yourself oil for yourself, it is not saying that we can buy our salvation or we can, by our own reason or strength, come to faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But rather, it is following the trajectory of the plot, if you will, of the parable itself. 
Instead, we should look at that as the idea that no one can believe for us, that repentance and faith in Christ must be our personal possession in our heart and a miracle of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. It is not anything that can be shared with another. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the parable, there are some things to note. You know, there are the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel and the kingdom parables in Matthew's gospel, that great discourse in Matthew chapter 13, is all about how God operates, how the Lord operates, and how he operates on the basis of grace. And it gives us opportunity to explore so often the mystery of God's grace in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Numbers in Matthew's gospel are significant as a Jewish gospel picking up on themes from the Old Testament. Numbers become significant. So the idea of 10, God's providence is contained in the word 10. But because the 10 are divided into five wise and five foolish, immediately we get the idea of the Pentateuch, the Torah. How do we view the Torah? You know, are the books of Moses, these five books of the Torah, sometimes called the books of the law, are they teaching us what we are to do in order to earn our salvation? Or do they proclaim to us what God has done for our salvation? And of course, the latter is the case. So you can look at this, if the five foolish are any and all who do not believe in Christ and attempt to save themselves by their own works. Whereas the five wise are those who understand and believe that by the works of the law, no one is justified by God's sight. By the law comes the knowledge of sin and that we cling to the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith in Christ who is brought forth as the fulfillment of the law for us and who loves us in the ultimate sacrifice of himself. So here again, foolishness, impenitence, unbelief, and I would argue any notion that one is justified by their works, whereas five wise brings to mind not only repentance and faith in Christ, but the wisdom of the gospel that we trust in, that we are saved by what Christ has done and not by ourselves. Oil, as we have indicated before, it's used throughout the Bible as a commodity that links together the Holy Spirit and faith. So the gift of the Holy Spirit there is signified by oil. Think of the third article. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. So we need to be filled up with the gift of the Holy Spirit and faith that comes in no other way but through the ministry of Christ's word and Christ's sacraments. The bridegroom was delayed. That is the phenomenon that to our senses we seem to observe. In the New Testament era at the time of the apostles, they rightly lived as if Christ could return at any moment. And Many of them believed he absolutely would return within their lifetime. Now, his delay did not mean that he was unfaithful, but rather that they should live by faith and not by sight or by reason. So they should place their confidence in the promise of his return 
not in whether or not they see that return in his lifetime. But the phenomenon of what seems to be an apparent delay often leads us to conclude that the word of Christ, his promises are not true. At midnight, the cry in the darkness of this world, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. I'd like us to see that as not only the cry at the end of the age when the trumpet sounds, which of course, if one doesn't have faith in Christ, at that time it's too late. But to also understand that that cry goes out now, that every time the preacher preaches the word of God, calls to repentance and faith, he is saying, here is the bridegroom, here is your savior, come out to meet him is the call to repentance and faith even now. And if we hear that call now, and if by the grace of God, we embrace the Lord Jesus now in repentance and faith, our lamps are filled with oil and we shall be prepared to meet him when he comes again in glory. So when at the end of this gospel, it concludes then, you know, as you said, I do not know you, that is a statement of judgment for those foolish virgins who in impenitence and unbelief had rejected Jesus. And it is the condemnation of hell. And so that is the sober part of this parable, isn't it? And then verse 13, the final verse, watch therefore, that is directed to you and to me and to every Christian. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour of the Lord's return, which in itself is a promise. You don't know the day or hour, so don't try to figure it out. Watch. And that watch is the language of vigil in which for us, we hear the word of God, we meditate upon the word of God, and on the basis of the hearing and the receiving and the meditating upon the word of God, we pray. So the language of vigil, of watching, always involves word of God by which the Holy Spirit continues to minister to us and prayer, which is the voice of faith that flows from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why I mentioned at the outset this idea from John Kleinig of receptive spirituality. Oh, he is urging upon us, watch therefore, receive my word, cry out to me for help, look to me. You know neither the day nor the hour, but I am coming. Of that we can be certain, and for us as the church, the body of Christ, the bride of the Lord Jesus, we yearn for it with great anticipation. We will get into the Old Testament reading in Isaiah 65 on the other side of the break as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary, the last Sunday of the church here with Pastor Peter Bender, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. 
The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Concordia Lutheran, Geneseo, Illinois. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Marshall, Minnesota. Emmanuel Lutheran, Bosher City, Louisiana. Memorial Lutheran, Houston, Texas. Our Savior Lutheran, Milford, Illinois. Redeemer Lutheran, Lawrence, Kansas. St. John Lutheran, Mayville, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Long Beach, California. Trinity Lutheran, Millstadt, Illinois. And Zion Lutheran, Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. It's the last Sunday of the church year. Pastor Bender, the Old Testament reading is an extended reading from Isaiah 65, beginning at verse 17. That's right, and it paints a beautiful picture, a portrait, if you will, of the future glory of the consummation of our salvation in the new heavens and the new earth with our Lord Jesus. I think it is important to note at the outset that when it says things like, a young man shall die a hundred years old, Does that mean that there's death in the life to come? No, it's rather contrasting how radically different it will be in the life to come compared to the life now under the curse of the fall and with the problem of sin. So it's painting a picture, it's painting an image, an image and a picture that contrasts with what life is like now. So it reads, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. 
They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So, as I said, this is just such a beautiful picture of the restoration of heaven and earth, purged of all of the dross of sin and its corruption, purged of the curse of the fall, which was so necessary for us to feel our human weakness and our need for redemption in Christ. But you can see that return to paradise at the very end. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. So at creation in the state of innocence, there was no killing. There was no eating of meat. And now here it's a return to that in the new heavens and the new earth. So it is a great Old Testament reading that speaks of that joy of salvation that we look forward to in the Lord Jesus. And then the gradual option is Psalm 45, 14 and 15. In many colored robes, the king's daughter is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. So here's a great picture of Christ's bride, the church. Many colored robes, the king's daughters led to the king. Think of the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers us. And with joy and gladness, they are led along. Why? Because they're going to see the king. The bride of Christ is going to see Jesus, the object of her most, most ardent affection and the source of her joy and gladness. So we enter into his palace. You think of the words of Jesus, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. You're connected to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to the last Sunday of the church here, according to the one-year lectionary of Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. If you appreciate our Looking Forward to Sunday Morning episodes, please make a year-end donation to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. For a contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Over Ruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online gift on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. We'll get into the psalm and the epistle next.
Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about pick and choose religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization, one student at a time. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, the last Sunday of the church year, according to the one-year lectionary. The psalm appointed for the day is Psalm 149. It is the second to last psalm in the Psalter. Verse 2 serves as the antiphon. And it is fundamentally a hallelujah song of praise to the Lord and it is sung by his bride, the church, in joyful anticipation of the Lord's return and the ultimate vindication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it reads, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So this Psalm 149 begins like the hymn of praise sung at the wedding feast, doesn't it? Sing to the Lord a new song, and new brings to mind the New Testament in his blood, the very gospel of Christ that is the reason for our song. You know, let them praise his name with dancing and making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. It sounds like a joyous wedding feast. And we sing this way because the Lord takes pleasure in his people, his people who are all members of his bride, the church whom he adorns with salvation. We exalt in the glory of the Lord Jesus and we sing for joy. Then the second half of the psalm turns to the idea that in the consummation of our salvation, when we ascend with Christ in the resurrection to eternal glory with him, we are seated at the Father's right hand with our bridegroom and to execute vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples, to bind the kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. So that victory and vindication that the Lord has won, we then share in as he who has trampled all enemies underfoot are those enemies that we then exalt over in the consummation of our salvation when the Lord returns. What is the epistle reading for this coming Sunday? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, counsel, catechesis, encouragement for the church as she waits for the Lord's return. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While the people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Now we'll note from this epistle the contrast between faith and unbelief, in the imagery of light and darkness. Between the activities of faith in the light and the activities of unbelief in the darkness. So you are not in darkness. You're not in the way of unbelief with all of its attendant evils, brothers, that the day of the Lord when he returns again in glory should surprise you like a thief. But rather you are children of the light, which is to say children of the gospel. The light of Christ's forgiveness has taken away our sin, and we stand in the light of Christ's righteousness as children of the day. So Paul warns us not to fall back into the ways of the old Adam, the ways of the flesh, the ways of darkness and unbelief, but rather to keep awake and to be sober, which comes through this attentiveness to his word, 
to his divine service. It begins with, you have no need to have anything written to you. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That picks up on the Gospels. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, in Mark's, and in Luke's Gospel, you have as lightning comes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And no one knows the day or the hour, not the angels of heaven. And in his state of humiliation, not even the Son knew. We are called to live by faith in his promise that he will return and to not doubt it. We're not destined for wrath as children of light, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus. Notice how the epistle ends with the gospel, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him, the ultimate joy of every Christian. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing throughout your earthly pilgrimage in that confidence. So we're on this earth, but we're citizens of heaven, and we look forward to the return of our bridegroom in glory. How would you summarize this last Sunday of the church year in terms of law and gospel? I think that the law must address the temptation to see the Lord's delay as a sign of his unfaithfulness to us. And it's not. But things continue. Life continues. And it appears, even in the epistle for the day, the experience is not, as we sometimes think, that the world is coming unglued all around us. There will be a strong sense, like it was in the days of Noah, that people would be marrying and giving in marriage and doing their stuff, and then suddenly the Lord comes. So we should not be lulled to sleep by that. The temptation to see the Lord's delay is a sign of his unfaithfulness to us. The law needs to address that. It needs to address the temptation to think that the Lord loves his church because she has made herself beautiful, and that's not true. He has made us beautiful. That's why we love him. The hymn, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying, is a call to repentant faith that constantly runs away from self-reliance to reliance upon Christ. It's also an announcement of the gospel, and the law must address the fact that our flesh does not want to watch and pray, and we should be wary of those things. But the gospel is that the Lord is faithful to his marriage vow. I will love you. I will return. I will not forsake you. His sacrifice of love upon the cross is the ultimate testimony to his faithfulness. The Lord makes us beautiful, adorning us with the wedding dress of his righteousness. And finally, the Lord fills us up with faith and love for Christ by his ongoing ministry of love to us in his word and sacraments. And that's the proper disposition, not only for the last Sunday in the church year, but indeed throughout our earthly pilgrimage as we look forward with great anticipation for the coming of our bridegroom in glory, where we will be with him and he will forever be with us. What would you say briefly about this king of the corrals? Wake, awake, for night is flying. Yeah, what a great celebration. Zion hears the watchman singing and all her heart with joy is springing. She wakes, she rises from her gloom. I think that kind of language that runs throughout the hymn of the day captures this idea, you mean the Lord is coming? Great! We rise up to meet him, and we're prepared for his coming as he continues to sit us now at his table. So, now come, thou blessed one, Lord Jesus, God's own Son, hail, Hosanna. We enter all the wedding hall to eat the supper 
at thy call. So how are we prepared for the Lord's return? By coming to the divine service, by hearing catechesis, by confessing our sin, by crying out to him in prayer, by meditating upon the word of God, and by sitting with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the table of the Lord, eating and drinking of his body and blood, singing hymns of praise to him, which begin now with faltering voices, but in the life to come, voices which are clear and in perfect harmony as we gather around the throne of our bridegroom to sing his praises for all eternity. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Up next, we'll replay an interview with Brandon Steenbach on transhumanism, the attempt to transcend the human body through technology. You're linked to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.